Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor at Casper Alliance Church, and this is uh, the wrap-up of our Book of Esther as we've gone through it. Uh, this morning, one of our key leaders, Chris, spoke, and he closed up Esther. Hope you enjoyed this series. If you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com, or if you want to download our app, you can go to the App Store on your uh, mobile device or your iPad or your tablet and look for Casper Alliance Church. Check out the double C's, you know, connect with us there. Hey, have a great day. Does anybody recognize these? I hear some chuckling. Anybody ever own a set of these? Anybody? Raise your hand. No? Oh, yeah. Mark did? That does not surprise me. You just dated yourself, Mark. I'm going to get these in a second, but... um, Oh, I should know better than to really seriously worship right before I preach because God just does things in my heart and I'm sitting over there and I'm praying and I made the mistake of asking God to, I don't know, lay on my heart what what the heart of this message is today and I just felt so overwhelmed with brokenness and struggle. Like our room is filled with people who don't know this week what the state of their marriage is going to be like, what the state of their job is going to be like. Don't know if they can afford eggs this next week. Some people don't know what the state of their children is going to be like. And sometimes church feels like one of those things we do on a Sunday, and then we got the rest of life. That's just a fight and a struggle. And why do we spend the time here? And I don't know why, but I was not planning on the message being for that, but I feel like that's here today. And so if, if, that, if that's you, if you're in that group, if, if this week is like, I just don't know what this week's going to bring. I'm fighting, I'm struggling with something, life is uneasy, life is worrying me. Just I, I just pray that today's message does have something for you. And I think, I think as Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, it, it, there is something here for you today. So these fuzzy dice, um, there's a legend behind these. It goes all the way back to World War II. World War II soldiers would carry trinkets with them for good luck when they went to fight because it didn't matter how good of a soldier you were. There was an amount of luck that had to happen for you to survive and come back, and they knew it. So they had carried trinkets of good luck, and some of them would carry like little dice with them, right? And so the soldiers that came back from World War II kept those trinkets because to them it was good luck. Um, and that, that carried over, and, and people knew about it, and uh, it actually got into the racing world. So race car drivers would begin to get little dice for good luck and hang them by their windshield, and... It was this idea that they were they were facing risk in the eye and you know and they they were playing with chance and all these things because you're we're driving that fast of a you know vehicle with other people there's a lot of risk that can come along with that so they would hang little dice and it just kind of became trendy until finally you get in high school your girlfriend might sew you a pair of these and give them to you and you, you can hang them from your windshield did you have them hanging from your windshield mark you did. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, there's a legend behind these, but the idea was, right, this, this luck, this chance, this rolling of the dice. Uh, speaking of soldiers and 
and battle and war. My favorite game growing up over a long holiday weekend was the game of Risk. Anybody, anybody here like the game Risk? Know, know the game Risk? Anybody here hate the game of Risk? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, a few. Yeah, all right. There's reasons to hate the game of Risk, too. But I, I loved it because, I mean, it is world domination, right? If you don't know the game of Risk, it's, it's literally taking over the world. The, the person who wins is the person who conquers the world. So for me, it doesn't get any better than that. The, the board is like the world, broken up into little countries, and you get these soldiers, these armies, and you take over a country, and then you kind of strategize and decide what country you want to take over next and fortify, right? So that was my favorite game growing up. But the one thing I hated about the game was that the way you would fight, the way you would battle, was with dice, right? It doesn't matter how good of a strategist you were. If the dice didn't roll your way, you could lose. <laughs> yeah. So one Thanksgiving, probably roughly 10 years ago, this is how impactful this story is to me. It's about 10-ish years ago. One Thanksgiving, not my family, but my in-laws, we... They invited the pastor at the time over, Abby and Ellen Swanson, some of you guys remember them. They invited them over. We were having a Thanksgiving meal. We got a game of risk going. So, of course, I had to be a part of it. And there were a few other people, and Abby, Ellen's wife, uh, was, was a part of it too. Now, when I played risk, you got to know that our friendship is taken off the table. <laughs> it's locked away. And you put on your Napoleon complex hat because that's what's going on here. I'm not a competitive person, if you know me. I'm really not. But when it comes to risks, this is world domination, right? So anyways, we're playing. I'm focused. I'm thinking. And I'm noticing over time that Abby is slowly taking over and over the countries. And I'm not. <laughs> so... I got these cards. If you trade in your cards, you get extra soldiers, but you don't want to trade in your cards too early because then somebody else comes after you and gets more. So I, I notice Abby's winning. I look over across the table. because I still remember this. She's sitting clear directly across the other side of the table from me. I look over at her to see how many cards she has to see if I want to turn mine in yet. And I look up because I'm going to meet my opponent right in the eyes, and she's not even looking at me. In fact, she's not even looking at the game board. She's turned to the side, sitting in her chair, doing something with her hands. Jinx, where are you? You know what she's doing. She's crocheting! World domination at stake. And she's there, sitting there crocheting. She doesn't even know when it's her turn. It's like, Abby, it's your turn. Oh, okay, I'll, call, I'll, I'll attack them. They roll the dice and she goes on. Do you know how frustrating this is? And she won. I find this a great metaphor for life, unfortunately. <laughs> because in the game of risk, you position yourself as best you can, and then you roll the dice. If you want things in life to happen, you position yourself the best you can. And you know what? So many things have to happen that are beyond your control in order for you to get what you want. You position yourself the best way you can, and you roll the dice. And the dice have to fall your way for things to happen. All right, so actually we're talking about the book of Esther here today. We're wrapping it up. 
last two chapters. So hopefully you've been following with the story. At this point, the Jews are under attack, but they're granted now um, reprieve. They're, they're given the opportunity to fight anybody who would attack them. And they do that, and they kill and slaughter hundreds of people, plunder them, so the Jews win the day. That's the first thing that happens in the last two chapters. The other two things are Mordecai is elevated to practically second in command. The only person above him now is the king. He now oversees everything. And he institutes the celebration of Purim. Purim, if you know, Pur is the word casting lots. That's how Haman decided what day the Jews were going to be slaughtered on. He casted lots. So now Mordecai is like, this is the day we're going to celebrate, and it's going to be based on this idea of rolling the dice, the day God saved us. So those are the themes going on in the last two chapters. What I want to do is go back and look at the decisions Mordecai made with respect to those themes. Because remember, we're talking about life struggle. We're talking about making decisions and positioning ourselves in the best way we can, but we also got to know life is chance. It's a rolling of the dice. Things have to happen a certain way or we don't win the game. So the very first decision we read Mordecai had was this decision to bring Esther into his house. Now, Esther was his cousin, and her parents were gone. We don't know exactly how they're gone. They just were, and he decides to take her in. I don't know if you've ever been faced with the decision to take somebody into your household who isn't part of your family, but it's a big decision to make. It's a sacrifice. There's a cost. Like, you're pretty much willing to put your life on hold a little bit to take care of this other person. My family did foster care growing up. We had people in and out of our family all the time. We had some permanent residents there. Listen, you don't decide, I'm going to keep furthering my career without it costing that, that child you're bringing in, or vice versa. If you want to take care of them, there comes a cost with that. And Mordecai had to make this decision. To bring Esther in meant he sacrificed some things with his life. Now, he worked in the gates of the kingdom. He was probably a scribe, a real lowly person. But if he's going to take Esther in, that means he's going to care about her, take care of her. His money that he's only making on one income is going to go to you know, providing for her and all that stuff. So there's a great cost here. You got Haman over here, who's probably a similar position at this time, but Haman is making decisions, positioning himself to achieve in this world. He wants to gain position, power, everything he can. So that's Haman. He's playing this game where he's trying to position himself to achieve. Mordecai is positioning himself with respect to God and the people in front of him. In this case, Esther. I want you to pay attention to the strategy here. Mordecai was positioning himself to honor God and take care of Esther. Okay? So he makes that decision, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He has no control. It's a roll of the dice. And so outside of his control, other things are happening. The king and the queen are having this issue. It ends up that the king decides that he wants a new queen. So he, he says, we're going to go out, we're going to gather all the pretty girls and bring them to my palace, because that's what kings do. And 
part of, you know, one of the people that they gathered to this harem was Esther because Esther happened to be a stunning knockout of a babe. She, she won the genetic lottery. There are those people, those rare people who just, they don't even have to try. They just win the genetic lottery. You know, the rest of us are over here buying tickets every week and we're still trying. And some people just totally give up. But Esther was this, was this, knockout of a girl, so she got brought into this harem, and she quickly rose in the ranks and gained favor with the people in the palace, okay? So now Mordecai, he doesn't have to take care of her anymore. She's, she's pampered. She's taken care of better than he ever could. So he has a decision to make, and his decision is he's going to go there every day to check on her. Well, that's an interruption in your life, Right? He goes, he, he, if he can talk with her, he does. If he can meet somebody who knows what's going on. But he goes there every day to check up on her. Now, I'm just imagining the other girls in this harem. Because you know how girls are. When they're all vying for position, which is going on here, and Esther's kind of gaining that, you know there's jealousy going on. You know they're sitting over there going, oh, Mordecai's here again today? Uh, hashtag helicopter parent. You know, they're just, they're creating this atmosphere. And so... Mordecai, again, is positioning himself not to gain in this world, but to honor God and take care of Esther. That's the strategy he's employing. He doesn't know what's going to happen. All he knows is the king Xerxes, he's not a nice guy. The closer Esther gets to him, the more in danger she is. But she's there, and he's going to check up on her, and he rolls the dice. In his comings and goings, he happens to come across what you would think would be a gift from God. He comes across a plot to kill the king. Now remember, this king, he's, he's not a good guy. He's unstable. He will change his mind with the, with the newest person that comes along and talks to him. He's, you don't want a king like that. You don't want a boss like that. You don't want anybody in charge who's willing to just change their mind on, on the blink of an eye. This, the, whoever comes and convinces him, he just, he'll go with it, right? I mean, that's a dangerous person to have in charge. He's the kind of guy who made a law to where if you walked in on his quiet time and he didn't like your face, off with your head. That's the kind of king this was. So Mordecai comes across this plot that the king's going to be killed. Well, what would you do in that situation? <laughs> I'm not saying that anyone here is fantasized about bad leadership being taken care of, but I'm guessing a few of us have had some thoughts like that at times. But Mordecai is not trying to gain. He's not playing the game where he gains in the world. He's playing the game where he's positioning himself in this righteous standing between God and others. And in this case, he knows King Xerxes, as bad as he was, was put in charge of the kingdom. The Jews were there because God wanted it to be so. Read the history. The Jews were there under King Xerxes because that was God's choice. God chooses the authorities that are over us, good or bad, for his purposes, not ours. So Mordecai does what he thinks is right. And he goes and he lets, through the proper channels, know about this plot for the kill of king. He positions himself, not for gain for himself, because believe me, that probably didn't gain him any points with the Jews. It certainly didn't make him feel better that, that Esther was in any better 
position because this is a dangerous guy, but he rolls the dice. And things happen, and Haman, this other guy who's positioning himself to gain in the world, actually does. He starts to be uh, elevated to the second in command, and this King Xerxes, based on a whim, right, says, hey, anybody who now Haman walks by has to bow to him. Just because. Because Haman wanted it that way. So Haman's coming through, and Mordecai chooses not to bow. Now, this is a conflict here, right? Mordecai positioning himself between God and man. The king says bow to Haman. Haman says bow to me. But in Mordecai's conscience, to bow to somebody would be to elevate them above God. So now he has to choose right? And he chooses to serve God and he doesn't bow. Now, this puts a bad taste in Haman's mouth for him and for the Jews. So probably nobody likes Mordecai at this point. But he's positioning himself. He's making a decision. I'm going to position myself in righteousness between God and man. I'm not going to worry about trying to position myself to gain in this world. I'm doing it this other way. And he rolls the dice. And things happen. And now, Haman convinces the king to slaughter all the Jews. We're going to set a day where this race of people is going to be wiped out. Why? Because of Mordecai's decisions. So Mordecai decides that the quickest way to the ear of the king is through Esther. So he convinces her to go to the king, to interrupt him and try to talk to him about this. Now think about this, right? If he was an overprotective parent earlier, someone gave him a book or a TED Talk or something because he went 180 degrees the other direction now. To send Esther into, into the king at this point is like tying a pork chop around her neck and throwing her to the wolves. But he's trying to do what's right before God and for his people even if that means convincing Esther to play her part to do what's right, to position herself between God and her people. You want to talk about a gamble. And hopefully you guys have been keeping up with the story. If not, go back and read it. But through a series of events that Mordecai has no control over, and that's important, Mordecai has no control over. It is a gamble. It is a roll of the dice. God works it out to where not only are the Jews saved, but Mordecai himself is elevated to second in command, and Haman is hung on the very gallows he built for Mordecai. Not, yay. <laughs> not because Mordecai planned it, not because he was smarter than anybody else or better than anybody else or strategized better, because he was positioning himself between God and the people. So there are two games going on here. The game the world plays, which Haman played, and the game that God's playing. Back on that faithful Thanksgiving day, there were two games going on. The game I was focused on on the board and the game of fellowship. Because Thanksgiving Day is a day where kind of everybody gathers and comes together and there's no outside interruptions. You just hang out and have fun. But my focus on trying to win caused a bad attitude that kind of poisoned the fellowship around me. I was playing the wrong game. And we are constantly playing the game that depends on the roll of the dice. And if there's anything 
I want you to take away from the sermon this morning. It's this verse right here. Go ahead and put that on the board, Brandon. This is Proverbs 16.33. I would be remiss not to mention the thing that has been mentioned every week we've studied Esther, and that is, where is the name of God in the book of Esther? See, the book of Esther isn't just a historical um, story. It's actually given to us in a very artful story form. A couple weeks ago, Jason mentioned one of the literary devices used in it, and that was chiasm. Well, I'm going to mention another one today. When something is intentionally removed that causes the person to ask the question, what about this? It highlights that. Esther is the one book in the Bible the name of God isn't mentioned. And so any critical reader is going to ask, where is God in this story? He's there. And there's two games going on. And you cannot make a decision that plays both games. You cannot live in the world and in the kingdom. The Bible makes that very clear. Every decision you make is either going to be a decision for gain in the world or a decision for the kingdom. And this is why we struggle so hard. This is why we fight. Because when we're making decisions that position ourselves with God and others, there's no losing. Now, life may not be exactly how you want it to be, it may be hard. It may be troublesome. But there's a peace and a joy and a satisfaction that, knows, that, that comes with knowing that you are on the side of the God who controls the outcome of the dice. And he promises that you will be taken care of. You might not have power, but you're going to have security. You might not have wealth, but you're going to be provided for. You might not have the freedom you want, but you're going to have freedom in him. Those are the promises given to us when we make the decisions to position ourselves with doing what is right towards God and others. It's always a roll of the dice. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how hardworking you are. I don't care about how much effort you give. Those things matter in our positioning. Don't get me wrong. But don't think you can control the dice. I don't know about you, but when I roll, especially when I play risk, I almost will it. Like, right? Like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake it just right and give it just enough spin. I'm almost like willing those numbers to turn a certain way. It rarely happens for me. <laughs> but we do that in life. But it comes out as control and manipulation and other things we do as people to try to make life happen the way we want it to. There are two games going on in your life, always. And you get to choose what decisions you're going to make. Go ahead and come on up, Mark, and I'm going to close this in prayer.